All right, let's go to God in prayer, and then we will uh, get started. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the many blessings you give us, and we thank you for the opportunity and the freedom that we have to come and to, to, to study your word, to learn from your, your Bible, and to later on worship you and sing praises to you. God, I just ask that you be with us as we continue through this study. Allow us to open our hearts to right now where we're studying the life of Jesus and Let's pay careful attention to help us help us pay careful attention to who he was and how he interacted with others and how he taught others. And it's in Christ. Let me pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to continue on again. And this this problem of Jesus series is probably going to be another couple months, to be honest with you, because we're going to go through all the way um, through the, his entire ministry. Uh, but these first couple um, are pretty detailed, and I'm going to, uh, I don't know if we'll get through all this today, to be honest with you. Um, but I, I want to go through the because these are three actually pretty um, in-depth stories that that kick off after Christ, you know Christ kind of started his ministry and and started doing. So we're going to start uh, with the clearing of the temple. Then we're going to look at Nicodemus, and then we're going to look at the woman in the well. And these are in chronological order. Uh, there were some there were some uh, in between these. There's a little bit of reference to John the Baptist and and kind of John. It was John the Baptist's. De- decline, as he would say, or, or you know, him stepping away and Jesus increasing in ministry, and we'll we'll see a little bit of that as well. So the first thing we're going to look at is the the clearing of the temple, and where I'm going to start with this, I actually have a video that I want you to because I I don't think I, I think sometimes, at least I know in my head, whenever I think of the temple, I think of something maybe the size of this building, a little bit smaller, <clears throat> you know, where there was just this little. You know, stuff would be around it and stuff like that. The, the temple in Jesus' time was absolutely gorgeous and massive. And so let's look at this. This is about a minute video. And I want you to kind of get an idea of what the temple looked like. So it was referred to as Herod's temple because, you know, it was the Herod that one bought it. But this was the size. This was the courtyard, the outer courtyard. And this is what it would have looked like. And it was absolutely massive. You know, I think sometimes we, we think of like a little church building or, or something, you know. It was a- absolutely massive. Well, they, they found, you know, they found where, so, the, you know, Jesus talked about, and we're going to actually talk about that where he just, just you know, um, we're not going to talk about it today, but we're going to look at it, where he talks about, he, he sheds the tears because he talks about it being Basically, there's not going to be one stone left on top of another. And if you actually go and visit, um, you can see where whenever uh, Rome came in and destroyed the temple, they shoved every single stone of this temple off the sides of, the, of the where it's at. You'll see here in a little bit when they do an aerial view of where it's at. They shoved the whole thing over. So there's no stone on top of another. Well, there is some at the bottom. And this temple's probably five or six times larger than what uh, Solomon's temple was. You can see it over. So all the 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 the, uh, the edges around there, they shoved all the stones off the side of it, and so there's nothing left of the of just just the flat area of where the the temple used to be. So I want to read through this John 12, or I'm sorry, John 2, verses 13 through 22. 
It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifice. He also saw dealers at table exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and, and cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered the prophecy from the scripture, Passion for God's house will consume me. But the Jewish leaders demanded, what are, you, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. And Jesus replied, destroy this temple in three days, and I will raise it up. What they, what they exclaimed, it has taken up 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days. But when Jesus had said this temple, he meant his own body. After he had raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the, both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. So first question, reading that, how many times did Jesus clear the temple? Who in here thinks once? Or usually thinks once? Okay. For the longest time, actually, until I started studying this, most, well, I'll say most, many scholars, there's a kind of a debate believe that Jesus cleared the temple twice. He did it at the start of his ministry, and then he did it at the end of his ministry, right before death. Now, there's some people who believe that this account from John is actually the one that was right before his death, because John wasn't written in chronological order. It was, it was John is separated more by theme than it is, you know, it being, being in chronological order. But most scholars believe that Jesus actually cleared this temple two times. He did it at the start of his ministry, and then he did it at the end of his ministry. So I wanted to go over that because I, I had never, never realized that. I always thought it was just one time, but it looks like, more than likely, he actually cleared it twice. So that, <laughs> it's interesting that, you know, he went in and did this, and then three years later came back and would have done it again because they would have, would have gone back in. And, and I'll show you, we'll dive a little bit deeper into why a lot of them believe this. So, so why was this an issue? Why was there money changers and animals and, and cattle and all kinds of stuff in the courtyard? If you, if you look at where the temple was, it was, they weren't in the inner part of the temple. Most people believe they were either they were in the, in the courtyard area. That, that's out there where everyone uh, would have gathered. There would have been tables and market stuff out there. And the other thing, and I want to hit this real quick before we dive into it, Jesus wasn't upset that people were selling things or, or using it as a place of, of, as a kind of a marketplace. You know, I've, I've heard people say, well, we can't sell things in the church or we can't do this in the church because Jesus doesn't want to know. His problem wasn't what they were doing. It's that they were actually, the way they were doing it, they were taking advantage and, and stealing from especially poor people. Yep. So... It wasn't the fact that they were actually, you know, selling things or using it. It was the way they were doing it and, and why they were ripping people off. So Israel had occupied Rome, and so Rome, or Israel had to use, at the time, the Roman currency. But under Jewish law, every man had to pay half a shekel to the treasury or however you wanted to, you know, kind of as their contribution in, in our day's term. 
So what would have to happen is, you know, a lot of people didn't carry both, so when they would get to come to the temple, they would then exchange their Roman currency for the Jewish shekel. Well, what was happening was they were ripping these people off when they were exchanging the money, and they were stealing from it, and, and, and this really affected the, for those who were poor. Yep, yep. So according to what Dad just said, according to the Jewish law, they had to sacrifice two doves, at least two doves or two pigeons as a sacrifice. Well, like Dad said, they, people were traveling from long distances, and so they did not want to have to carry doves or pigeons or even some of them would go above and beyond and, and, and get other sacrificial animals. So what they would do is just they'd have them there to sell, again, at a highly inflated rate, ripping people off. So, so this is why... This was a, Jesus was so upset about this. It wasn't that they were using it to, you know, to do these things. It was how they were doing it and the fact that they were, they were stealing from people and taking advantage of people and becoming very rich off of it, off of, off of Jesus, or off of, not sorry, Jesus, but God's commandments and, and the worship to him and, and his sacrifices. It'd be similar to us today, I guess, charging for people to, take communion or something if you want to take communion where we'll, where we'll charge you for you know to use these cups and stuff like that or whatever it'd be something. go ahead yep yep so, so similar to that because they were just what we call price gouging and, and taking advantage of people so the thing that this did though this showed Jesus's authority because not, not everyone could just want, one, I mean, one of the things you saw is you saw Roman um, soldiers. There would have been Roman soldiers, and there would have been authorities here. So Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, is able to walk into this temple area, which is a large area, and clear it out with a whip, and turn over all the tables, and, and drive people out. And, and it's interesting to me that he wasn't arrested. Because anyone else would have done that, they would have been arrested and, and taken off. No. Yeah, it, it would not have been, oh, I'm coming in here with a whip and everyone runs off. I mean, he, he would have taken some time. And the other thing I was talking, I think it was Kyle I was talking to about this, is I don't think he just used that whip just to hit it in the air. I, I, I'm, I'm wondering if he didn't use it to hit some people. You know, it doesn't say, but, I don't know, or maybe self-defense, I don't know. But, I mean, he's... It's not some, oh, I'm going to come in here and just kind of, oh, let me throw some tables over. It would have been, a, you know, you've got to imagine this place is crowded. There's thousands of people in it. And Jesus comes in with a whip, more than likely some kind of, similar to like a cat of nine tails, because it talks about how he put it together with strings, and is going in and just driving these people out. And, and no one's going to, there's not, no one's, there's going to be some resistance there. And so it would have been a very interesting thing to, to play out to see the Messiah going in and, and, and using a whip and clearing clearing out his, his temple. Okay. Yep. 
Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, he does all of this, and, and no one comes and arrests him. And they just start questioning him. You know, like, what if, you know, if, if you're from God, how, you know. And so th- this proves his authority and shows that the, the power he has to come in and clear his own temple. And, and, and prevent things from happening to him that he, that he didn't want to have happen to him at the time. And so I think it's, that's an interesting view to look at this. The other thing I want you to look at, too, is the temple reference. So this is one of the reasons why most scholars believe that, this, that he actually cleared the temple twice. If you look in John 2.16, which we just read, he said, Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Right, and this is the, the New Living Translation. But if you go to Matthew 21, and, and the, the key word there is my father's house. He uses a reference there at the beginning of being the father's house. At the end, the second time he does it, he said that in the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. So he changes at the end of his ministry he changes his reference from my father's house to my temple. Which we know, I mean, in, if we look at the, the, the Trinity, you know, they're the same people. But, you know, the, do we see a difference there, I think, as this has progressed. And I, and I think there's, this is important because we see that he didn't, that he slowly pushes his, his, that, the fact of who he is through his entire ministry. And, and, and it looks, at the beginning, he, you know, tried to hide who, and I don't say hide, but he didn't want it out as much of who he was. Toward the end, he, he was pretty bold in who he was. And so I think that's the, the difference you see in there. So that covers kind of the, the clearing of the temple. It, it's interesting how he comes in and, and does that. And I guess it would be interesting, too. This is one of the things I, I think when we get to heaven, you know, you, I, hopefully we get to have these conversations. But I, I would like to have seen what, what was kind of going through his head and, and, and what it was like to see Jesus, kind of what we would say in a, in a, in a I won't say a fit of rage, but he was angry, right? You know, he didn't sin, but he was angry. To see him that angry where he is clearing out. What he represented, yeah, because they were de- they were they were just go ahead, Cindy. Three three years. It was a three year ministry. We know from John, um, the book of John, that that Jesus's ministry was about three years. So, all right. So um, then, shortly after he clears the temple, we then see. The, the meeting with Nicodemus. And, and so Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and he I think he was part of the Sadducee branch, if I'm not mistaken. But anyways, uh, he was a religious leader. And he comes and meets with Jesus in, the, in night because obviously he, you know, he was who he was. He shouldn't be associated with Jesus or be seen with Jesus. 
uh, because they were against him. So we see this, and I want to read John 3, this, this story here. Uh, John 3, 1 through 15. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. One day, one dark, after dark, one evening, sorry, I can't read this morning, he came to speak with Jesus, Rabbi. So this would have been, and I, maybe I'll talk about this a little bit later, I don't know if I might have it in my notes. The fact that he called him Rabbi was interesting because him being a Pharisee, he would not have thought that Jesus or the Pharisees themselves did not really respect Jesus as a rabbi or teacher, right? This was, you're my teacher. If you call someone rabbi, they are over you teaching you. But then he goes on to say, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. I don't know who he who he's referring to we all know. Because not all the Pharisees believed that he was um, a, a teacher, one rabbi, from God. And so, because you, you, we even see further in the New Testament that some of them accuse him of being from the devil because of the things that he's doing it through the power of Satan. So I don't know. I think maybe it's just the group of people who he's probably coming. I'm, I'm sure he's not by himself in this. And so when he's coming to, to question Jesus and talk to him and find out more about who he is, it's that his group of people are saying that. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus asked, what do you mean? Exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can re reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So do not be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven in return, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. So there's, there's a, honestly, you could probably, you could do a three-week series just on these 15 verses, probably a four-week series. And so what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to go through them at a high level, and I think later on, uh, once we go through this, I want to come back and, and revisit this, because there is just the one verse that we're going to look at of being born again there is probably a library full of books and and research and and stuff just on that one verse alone that's out there because a lot of scholars disagree on what that verse means and we're going to talk about that but the first thing we see we see is Nicodemus believed or said he knew that he was from God so he knew or he believed that Jesus was at least a messenger from God because of the you know because of how one the things he knew and two what he was teaching and, and and what he and then two what he you know the miracles that he was performing so even even that the some of the Pharisees saw this and saw that okay he, he's got to be someone you know and so I think that's interesting I think sometimes we miss that you know Nicodemus coming 
and, and the fact that some of them knew. Go ahead. Sanhedrin, thank you. Yes, yes thank you. And so we, we see this, this conversation. And what I think's interesting, if we go back here, um, sorry, let me get my... You know, so he comes to him and says, look, we know you're God, and you're, you know, your, miracle, your miracles are a sign of God. And then Jesus responds, okay, I tell you, you can't, unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. And so this kind of, this, and this is where a discussion kind of starts to take place. And there, there's, there's three trains of thought on what Jesus starts talking about or is talking about uh, whenever he talks about being born again. Especially, so this is a single reference here. He says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of, of heaven. Now, we know what we believe born again is, and, and, and it's in the Bible and it goes throughout. So, so we're not going to, this one, we know what born again is. But then in that second verse, I'm sorry, the, 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 ver, the response there, he says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and born of spirit. This one sentence, like I talked about, has, there's a huge divide in this one sentence right here of, of what's believed. And, and I'll go through this in my notes. There's, there's, there's three kind of main train of thoughts when it comes to this sentence. The first being that he's talking about physical birth. That you have to be born, you know, obviously when you're, you're born or you're, you know, you, your baby develops, it's in a, a sack of water with fluid, you know, am, is it amniotic fluid or however you, however you say that. And so um, some people believe that this is what he's referring to. Is you obviously have to be born. Unless you're born, someone has to be born in order to go to heaven, right? Um, Correct. Yep. And so most scholars say, no, this isn't the case. Because one, nowhere, there, there's nowhere in, in literature of that time, in, in any of the writings, where birth is, is referred to as being born of water. Nowhere. You know, it, it's, it's not seen that way. The second one, um, and this one has been really the, the and, and I, my personal opinion in studying this and trying to go pretty deep into it, this is what he was referring to. Is referring to baptism, and we're going to look at the third one, which is has become more recent. We'll, we'll talk about that, but it is a referral to the waters of baptism. You know, being baptized. And if you actually look, and we don't have time to do it, and I think one of these days maybe I'll, I'll, I'll do a deep dive into baptism, and, and we'll look at all the verses on it, but um, or salvation in, in itself. If you actually look at verse 3 and then verse 5, the way that the Greek is set up, it's talking about a single instance. So being born again and the being born of water and spirit is actually one thing. So born of, it's not two separate things, it's, it's one thing. So when you're born or when you are baptized, you know, you're, 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 you're the, the act of doing this, it's it's a it's a it's two and one kind of thing. You know, we, we see that in Acts when people are baptized, they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So it's we've kind of broken everything down into sections and separated it out. 
But the whole thing is actually should be and looked at as one thing in itself. It is, you know, the, the cleansing, you know, the water doesn't clear. When we've, we've, uh, you know, we've talked about this a million times, and I think this is pretty solid, is dunking yourself in the water isn't what cleanses your spirit. It, it's, it's the faith behind it. But that's the, that final act is, you know, and I, again, we'll dive into this a little bit more. That, that final act is the, the spirit part. We saw that when Jesus was baptized, the spirit came down on him. We see that in Acts when people were, you know, he told you first, you be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so it's the, it's the same thing. Um, we also see in many verses that no one can enter the kingdom until they're baptized, right? It says, once you're baptized, then you are entered into the kingdom of kingdom or the church. Go ahead. I, I have to go back and study the Greek on that one. I don't remember, but I think the the C and the enter is kind of like the the similar thing. It's just the way they they translated the word. It's you know, I, you, sometimes we can say I, I, I you were saw something, but at the same time you were still part of it. Um, I, I think. I, yeah. Yeah. I think it's the and I'll Ralph. If I make a note and I'll re, I'll research that a little bit and see. I'll have to look at the Greek words there, but I, I think it is like actually seeing it by you know you get to see something. I get to enter into it. Yeah, yeah. And so the the born again. Or I'm sorry. The baptism side of, the, of of born again is one very popular still amongst the Catholic Church and the Church of Christ uh, and some others. Um, but, and it was actually a very popular view up until the Reformation. And that's where the third kind of train of thought comes to, is that he wasn't actually referring to baptism, because if he was referring to baptism, then that means you actually have to be baptized. And so the, the Reformation period doesn't like that, because that's a faith-only, you know, faith-without-works type thing. And, and again, I can dive into the... Anyways. But anyways. They reference some old... Um, Testament verses in Ezekiel that talk about, you know, they, the, the spiritual cleansing in a water form as an example, and they, and they try to take from that. But I don't, I personally, I just don't see how you can grab all that. I, I, yep. Yep. Yeah, right. This is spiritual cleansing. And, and so that was going to be. <laughs> Dad likes to steal my points. Uh, <laughs> great minds think alike, right? No, um, oh, that's funny. No, and that's that's what you know. The, the final point is is what Dad said. Baptism is a spiritual, and it's a two. It's a, it's a it's the same thing. I, I hate how we separate it sometimes. 
right? It's this, 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 and then this, and then, and then you're okay. I, I think it's kind of an, I, I like to see it as an all-in-one package, you know, and, and I understand why we've separated it out into steps, but um, baptism and, and the spiritual cleansing and the receiving of the Holy Spirit and forgiveness is all one thing at that same time, you know. It, 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 I don't know, like I said, I want to I dive real deep into that one time and, and, and do probably a three or four week series on it, but anyways, that that particular viewpoint became popular uh, again around the Reformation, Calvinism, um, and, and you know just the last couple hundred years, really, uh, three or four hundred years uh, around that. So, and then the last one I wanted to make a point on is the Jesus's description of the Holy Spirit, because I like to focus any time that Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, I like to look at it because one we've I, I feel like we've really minimized the 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 Holy Spirit in the church, and I think we need to get back to get away from doing that and really start to focus on it more. He says, the wind blows, in verse 8, wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. <clears throat> I think this is something we're not really going to truly understand until you know, we get into heaven of how the Holy Spirit actually truly works and enters into us and, and, and works through us. Now, we get a lot of descriptions of how that works, but even Jesus himself talks a little bit. It's like, you know, <clears throat> it's like the wind. You know it's there. You can't see it. You don't understand 100% how it's working in you, but you know it's there. And I, and I think that's something we, we need to I, I think we, you know, anyone ever really felt the Holy Spirit moving them? It, it's, a, it's, a, it's an experience. It, it should bring tears to your eyes. And... And it's one of those things, like, like the description there with the, with the wind. It's like, you know it's there. You don't really know where it came from, but, man, you can feel it, and it's powerful. Go ahead. I believe so. I believe that's the only where the Trinity's together and to kind of together in one place, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't imagine how powerful of a scene that was after Jesus' baptism. And, you know, you've got God speaking from heaven, a, a dove in the form of, of the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove coming down and landing on Jesus and having Jesus. I mean, that <clears throat> would have been a magical um, supernatural, however you want to say it, experience. Yeah. yeah. It, it is, and we see, you know, and I did the, the series on the Holy Spirit. We see, I mean, it's, we need to grab a hold of that. We, we need, I mean, it's there, you know. It's in us. I mean, and Jesus talk, or the, the, the New Testament talks about if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, then you're not saved. And so if, you know, we need to be careful. Uh, um, Francis Chan wrote a book um, talking about this. You know, and, and I think it was, called, it was called Until Unity, and he talks about we don't see the Holy Spirit in a lot of churches. And so it's, it's very concerning when, and I know I'm way off topic here, 
It's very concerning when you see churches and you're not seeing the fruits of the Spirit. So, I, I, anyways, that's a sidetrack. But I, I do think it's something we need to, to really grab a hold of. I, I've seen it in action, and it's, and it's very powerful. Go ahead. <laughs> Now, I, I think it was more, I'll I put it at more of an individual level, right? I mean, it's more of a, I know what the Holy Spirit is working. Now, I mean, everyone else may not see it, you know, and we're not going to see these miraculous signs and stuff like we saw, you know, but we still see them moving in us. And I, and I think it's more on that personal level where not everyone sees it, but but we know it. Go ahead, you It is. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And and I honestly think with this verse here, a little bit of what Jesus was referring to. It is kind of this this spiritual realm is we're really never going to fully understand it. as humans as physical beings we're never going to really understand it 100 percent until we get to heaven and you know anything yeah but but especially the spiritual realm because 
we're not on the spiritual one. We, have, we, we receive a little bit of it, and we feel it working through us, but we, we don't understand it until we, until we get to heaven and on that spiritual plane, if you want to call it whatever, that spiritual existence, we're not going to understand all that. But we know it's there because we see it. And I, and I think the main purpose is in the Holy Spirit is, one, to guide us and help us. And, 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 say, and, we'll, and again, we could dive back into that again a little bit. But i got a few minutes, and I want to get into the Samaritan one. But anyways, I thought this interaction was, was interesting because you have the Pharisee, as Nicodemus coming, you know, he, he's like, yes, we know you're from God. You know, he hasn't gone as far as saying, yeah, you're the Messiah. But we, at least we know you're from God because of the things you're doing. And he's inquisitive of, you know, what, who are you and what's your purpose and what, you know, kind of what do we have to do. And he starts asking some, some questions, and, and there's a back and forth there. Go ahead. And, and yep, yeah. Well, and, and and two, they knew about baptism because ba- the baptism itself, what we call bat, it, it's it's been around for a long. It was ba- around in Jesus's time, obviously with John, but even before then, it was a it was a ceremonial cleansing ritual that happened during that time as well. Yeah, the idea of being born again. So he, like he, Jesus says, you you are a a Pharisee, and you should know these things. Basically, it kind of summed up uh, in, in, in what he says. Basically, you, you should know these things. You should know what I'm talking about. But then he goes in a little bit, you know, he's talking about, yeah, you, you see the physical things, and yeah, we, when we explain them, then how, if you don't believe the physical things we do, then how can you even believe the spiritual things that we talk about? All right, so the Samaritan woman, I, I'm going to be honest with you, this right here is probably one of my favorite sections of Scripture in the New Testament. For many reasons, and and again, this is another section of, of scripture where you could pull out a, a month or two of of study and, and and going and diving deep into this. But since we're trying to go through his entire ministry, we, we won't do that. So I'm going to read just uh, the first nine verses here. I, I think this is what we'll get through, and then we'll uh, we'll uh, continue on next week. John four one through nine. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Through, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. We're going to look at that in, in a second, why he didn't do that. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. So there apparently was a little bit of pressure there, so he, he went to, through, the, through the Judea area and went back to Galilee. So here's the thing. He had to go through Samaria. Again, we're going to talk about that on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at, this, at the time because his disciple had gone to f- uh, get food in the, in the village or buy some food. The woman was surprised, for G- Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew. I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? So I'm going to try to break this down a little bit i got four minutes left, and we'll, so we'll see how far I get. The first point there in this scripture is Jesus didn't baptize anyone. 
And I didn't write down why, so I, that's why I put the notes page down there. Why did Jesus not baptize anyone? Okay. That's a train of thought. And I, I, think, that, I think that was part of it, it's correct. But why was Jesus' disciples baptizing people, but Jesus himself would not? Okay. I think that was part of it. Most scholars believe that the reason he didn't baptize anyone, because he did not want anyone to be able to say, I was baptized by Jesus himself, so therefore I am more holy than you. Now, I think there was a lot of other reasons of what Diane said I think is correct, and what Dad said I think is correct too, but most scholars believe that's the main reason. Well, it did happen with the apostles. It happened with the apostles. But could you imagine what would have happened if people had been baptized by Jesus? It's kind of a, it's kind of a human nature thing when you've got something or you you feel more powerful than someone else you you tend to to go into that Cindy. Yeah, I mean Jesus. Yeah, he could have if he wanted to, but I mean John takes the time here to point out that Jesus did not baptize anyone, and and. And, 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 he talks, and he talks about this for that same reason. That way you, you can't try to lord it over other people. Oh, yeah. Yep. All right, so the second statement there in the next verse is that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, here's the thing. Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. Well, he did, and we'll see why he had to. He had, he, he had a specific reason why he was going through Samaria. Most Jews would go around. They would go to the east and go north and come back west to go around Samaria because they hated the Samarians so much. They didn't even want to walk through their, their, their country and have anything to do with them. Oh, it was a long... Yeah, back in that day, that wasn't like, oh, well, I'm going to go on a little detour in my car. This was, you're, you're taking several days to go around this country because you hate these people so much. So we're going to see why he had to go through Samaria. Now, the Samaritan woman. Now, we see here that she, this is the middle of the day. I think some people believe it's about 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, which would have been the hottest time of the day at that time. Typically, the women in that days would go to the well either in the morning or the evening when it was cool, and they would go in groups. So the fact that she is going by herself in the hottest part of the day to go and fetch water and if anyone's carried gallons of water in hot sun it's not it's not easy to do so she would have been the reason she was doing this was because she was an outcast and we see later on why she was an outcast so even the women didn't want to have anything to do with her and then we'll talk about this a little bit on so here's the taboos that happen I mean just one right after another of the, the taboos one she was considered in this day the lowest of the low. 
honestly, and when we say this, cattle and goats and camels would have been considered more valuable than this woman in this day. All right? One, Jesus talked to her. One, it was very uncommon for a man to talk to a woman in public, or at all, really. Usually it was a, man, a husband and wife thing. But for a man to talk to this woman was, and we, we see this later on because the, 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 uh, his followers are shocked whenever they come back. The other thing is he asked her, not only did he talk to her, he asked her for water. He didn't say, let me, you know, give me something to get my own water with. So she would have had to physically touch, and usually it was like a ladle or something like that, the, the, the ladle and the water and serve it to him. That would have been considered extremely unclean. And then lastly, he was alone with her. And the Bible points this out, or John points this out, that he was alone with his woman. So there's like five or six, and we'll continue on, things that Jesus did right here that was just completely outside the, the norms and the, the expectations and the customs of that time. And it would have been considered, it would have been frowned upon just, I don't know, I mean, some of this stuff probably, and we'll look at it a little bit later next week, would have been, been enough to not only get Jesus in a lot of trouble, but to get that woman stoned and killed herself. And so we'll look at that. So I'm going to stop here. Uh, we'll continue on uh, through the rest of this next week, and then hopefully we'll be able to get into, um, ooh, I've got a ways to go, um, Jesus healing official sons and then some of the, the fishermen that uh, uh, follow Jesus and then later become his disciples. Thank you.